0: Well I I appreciate the song he just saying about the fact that we're not not praying for much just praying for your touch. The problem is sometimes we have so much we don't even realize we don't have the touch. And and that has a deceiving effect on us sometimes. And so a great thought there and it will go along with the message a little bit. I I am glad to be able to be here to preach with our, brother Ingram. That that's a great joy to me. You invest in people in the ministry, and you never know how it's going to go. And a pastor can pour years and years and years into people, and then one day they're just gone. Or they don't receive it, or they don't take it. And one of the the most rewarding investments in my lifetime, um, towards the very, very top, besides my family, is an investment, Brother Ingram. And I'm so thankful to get a preach with him. And he, he, he really should be preaching the whole meeting, and I just get to enjoy uh, this. But this is a case in which you, know, you get invested in somebody, then they become your friend. And I'm thankful for that friendship. Plus, he invited, uh, actually introduced me to Brother Shifflett. So we, I think we ate a meal together in Oklahoma City, and I think that's where it was. And so I remember meeting him, and, and then I, I heard him preach a little bit just on uh, YouTube or something. And so the first time I met him, I heard that Southern draw. And I thought, this guy's this a kind of Southern guy right here. And then he, you know, he was uh, pastoring in South Carolina, and, and had those cowboy ways, kind of country ways. And I'm thinking, man, I love this. This belongs in the South. And then I remember the Ingram telling me, yeah, uh, he's going to pastor somewhere else. And I said, well, where's that? He said, Maryland. <laughs> you you mean that Southern guy's going to go preach in Maryland? <laughs> First thing they're going to say is get a rope you know that we can't we're not going to handle that kind of preaching up here and um and i guess you'll have because it it act like you've kind of grown in love with that kind of preaching so I, i didn't i honestly didn't think they would allow that in maryland but i'm glad they do so it is it is good to be here brother ingram mentioned something and he and i actually agree on this i just i want to present something here you know he said we don't really need women's meetings much And I would agree with that, but I guess it depends on who's actually running the home. Because I wonder, am I preaching to heads of households here? And if not, maybe in the morning, tonight is you guys, maybe in the morning we ought to have your wives come. You know what I'm saying? It uh, you don't always know. But maybe we would accomplish more with women's meetings if if they are the heads of the home, and maybe we'll preach on that a little bit tomorrow. But I, I'm with him. We we have a passion for men's meetings. You know, obviously with men's advance and um, and, I, and I'm thankful. I want to I want to make a shock statement. Now listen, you're we're we're all on the same page here. So don't don't shoot me until you hear the whole point. All right. I, I, preached a, I was preaching at a, a preacher's meeting one time, and I preached on the danger of too much preaching. And now my point there was, all right, the Bible doesn't tell us to preach as much as it says to preach the Word. Right. Yeah, right. And in some circles, we have way too much preaching and not enough preaching the Word. That's right. All right. That's right. But, but I want to I wanna ask you, and please don't answer, could we be in danger of too much preaching? I don't answer yet. You you know what James says? James says he at least implies it's possible under one condition. The more we hear and don't do something with it. What what does he say the effect is? We deceive ourselves. People who hear the most preaching actually stand a chance to be the most deceived. Deceived. According to James. If we get into such an environment where we're just like, Man, I just love preaching and I love preaching, that's great, and it ought to be that way. But if we get an environment where preaching is just a, a life, it's just something that, that we go through and we say our amens, and we get charged up, and we don't do something with it. Yes, sir. People sitting in pews like Bible Baptists and this church and Brother Ingham's church can be among the most deceived. Not because of the preacher's preaching, but because we get in a habit of hearing and hearing and hearing and we don't do something with it. Right. Right. At, our, at our men's advance in Stillwater, we, have a, you know, we produce a, a book for it. And, but at the end of every session, it's what we call the plan page. And, and we, have, we have an invitation, but the invitation is such that it is basically, all right, men, now you've heard. Now write, we're going to give you 10 minutes. Write down what you plan to do with what you just heard. Specifically, not, not concepts, not, not principles. What are you going to do about what you just heard? So, man, I'm not targeting preachings. I'm not targeting... Preachings, um, I'm not targeting amens to the preaching tonight. I'm I'm thankful for amens. I have preached with amens, and I've preached without amens, and I much prefer amens. Every preacher does, but I'm preaching for change. And so please hear and and then decide what to do. I, I take my responsibility seriously to preach the word accurately, and I will do that to the best of my ability with his help. But as much as he meant the word to be preached, he meant the word to be responded to. Right. And I'm asking you to hold me to no higher um, responsibility than you hold yourself. I'll preach, and then you decide what to do. Amen. And then God can use the meeting in a real way. I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis 39. Genesis chapter 39. <clears throat> So Brother Ingram and I are both preaching Old Testament uh, personalities and stories here, and this one is just as, as well known, certainly as Samson's would be. And, and yet I, I want to deal with a section of this that that maybe we tend to focus on one part more than another and and they both have to be focused on. And so I'm not focusing on the one part because I think the other isn't as important. I'm probably focusing on it because I just see that it is kind of foundational to the rest of it. Genesis 39, would you stand with me in the reading of the scripture? So we're gonna start in verse seven, but the first six verses is Joseph has come into Potiphar's house. He's been sold by his brothers into slavery and he finds himself in Egypt and he's a a servant, a slave of Potiphar's, but because the Lord was with Joseph and the relationship that Joseph had with God, then God made everything that he did to prosper and he rises through the ranks of Potiphar's house. And then verse six, it says he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not ought he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored, which brings us to this part of the story that you're familiar with, verse seven. And it came to pass after these things, after he had risen through the ranks there and was in charge outside of Potiphar and his wife, it says that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. Here's Joseph's conclusion. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, the rest of the story, you, you know that this happens over and over and over. And, and, and Joseph is, is dealing with it time after time after time. That's what verse 10 says. Day by day that he hearkened not unto her. She was coming to him again and again and again. And, and, and in verse 11... Then he's trying to to do what he's supposed to do for his boss Potiphar, he's in the house doing that. And some are critical, you know, of Joseph in in verse 11. He was there, none of the men therein. I don't don't see a, a criticalness there. There's probably a point to be made still, I'm sure. But verse 12, notice this. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Now, a lot of times... That, that is given as the strategy for how to resist temptation. Because this is a great temptation text. All right, there, There's no doubt about that. Because she catches him, and then he, he leaves his garment, and then he gets out, and he flees. And then, of course, she lies about him. She's, she's upset about that, and, and she didn't want to be told no. She didn't want to be denied, so she lies about him. And then he ends up being thrown in prison But what I want to preach is what we hear about why Joseph followed the strategy that he did. I heard a statement, we'll be seated here in just a moment. I heard a statement a few months ago that's really struck with me. And a secular guy made this statement, and he was talking about a business aspect, but he still hit on something good. He made this statement, he says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. He said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Now, again, he, he was talking about business, but I thought, man, that, that's what happens in a lot of churches. Guys go to conferences and they get some ideas and they get some, well, you could do this and build your church and you could do this and they get all this strategy and they go back and they perform this strategy and then they're wondering, well, why don't, but why don't we have a church like they have? A lot of conservative churches, they, well, they say, oh, well, we, if we'll have this standard, we'll have this standard, then man, we'll have it. Those are all strategies. A lot of churches don't end up having the kind of church they want because it's not the culture. It's just some strategy they go through to produce something and it's not how their heart beats. And and what we have in verse 12 is Joseph's strategy. That's what he did. But why did he do that? Joseph had the strategy right when it came to temptation because he had an internal culture. Between he and God. And the verses in verse 8 and 9 is where we get the culture. That's what we want to deal with tonight because we're told how Joseph thought and what he thought that led to what he did and didn't do. Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, we do need meetings like this. We need this meeting. This church needs this meeting. These other men who have brought folks from their own churches We need this because we as men need time to come aside and challenge each other in the areas that we know that we struggle and that we have needs. Lord, I'm so thankful for churches that do believe that men are still to be the leaders of their homes. The culture is trying to rob us of that. And there's nobody else really saying it anymore. Kids aren't taught still men at school. Our televisions aren't producing the character of still men. Our government left that a long time ago. Lord, these men have no other place to go to hear about still men we need these times, we need our church services, but we need these times of real focus like this. And I pray that, that you will take what's already been given and then take this message and the messages tomorrow and that you truly would strengthen these men to be what has to feel like completely swimming upstream, but yet you would strengthen them through everything that takes place in these few sessions. So accomplish what you know needs to happen, even more so than we think what needs to happen. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So meanwhile, techniques can be helpful and they're necessary. We need a particular culture. We need. I, I love to preach mindsets. You know, a mindset is, is in some ways, it's like LASIK surgery, because if, if you have a vision problem, you can have glasses like this and you can put those glasses on. The problem is you can take the glasses off, you take them off and, and it's just as blurry as it was before. And so if, if, our, if, if we're trying to see truth, sometimes we can treat the word of God like glasses, and comes church time, and, and we can see everything real clear. I mean, Brother Schifflet's preaching, and he preaches it straight, and he preaches it hard. And, and you can see things clearly at that moment, but then you go home, and you can take them off. Even, and even with that, you, can, you still have some peripheral. I mean, I can, you know, if I, if I look up a little bit, I can see things a little bit blurry up here. Not everything is completely am I seeing accurately because it's not, I mean, I'm, I have some areas here that really aren't directly in view contacts, you can put contacts in, and but again, I mean, you can take those out, and if, if something kind of gets under there and irritates you, you'll take them out in a heartbeat. Several years ago for Christmas, the church bought me LASIK surgery. And it was several years ago, and i aged, and, and I probably need to have it done again, but they bought LASIK surgery, and man, I'm telling you, that, that surgery took, the actual surgery itself took about 45 seconds. I came out of there with I'd had horrible vision before and 2020 vision, and I couldn't take it off. I didn't have any peripheral vision that wasn't good. I mean, it, it was, everything I saw was 2020. And the fact is, if we're not careful, we, we, we will, will not allow our minds to be transformed to the point that everything we look at, we look through a biblical mindset. And we just we, we take it off because I desire this or my flesh wants this or I I don't like this or don't like that part. And so I love preaching biblical mindsets to try to preach the word of God as if it if we will allow it to permeate the deepest parts of us it'll affect how we see everything and we won't just to apply it to this over here and then apply it to that and we won't even just apply it to what the preacher said apply it to we'll apply it to what the holy spirit says to apply it to because it's a mindset our mind has been changed and we We don't just look at something one way one day and another way the next day. Our minds literally are transformed and we allow the Word of God to affect how we see everything because of where it sits in our thinking. And so I want to do that tonight in in this text because Joseph pays a high price for what, what he does. We know God used prison, but prison couldn't have been that great of a situation, especially if Potiphar, who was a a man of means there, sends him to prison. Not a a great place for him to be, and God certainly uses that to continue to propel Joseph higher and higher. But he finds himself in this situation. He's a a goodly person, well favored. He's done well under Potiphar. And so Potiphar's wife comes after him and, and wants him for herself and comes and tempts him and in verse seven and says lie with me and we're going to hold on uh, hold off verse eight and nine just for a little bit it tells us what he thinks and that's where we're going to focus on but then he, we we go through and and he he comes to the point where she she comes to him while he's in the house one day by himself and obviously says the same thing to him lie with me and i mean here here is his boss's wife and, and for one thing, he, he can say, well, no, I, I shouldn't do that because that's my boss's wife. But on the other hand, he realizes, I mean, she's got some authority, too, in a sense. And if I don't, I could be in real trouble. But there was something in Joseph's mind that existed there that caused him to say, it doesn't matter the cost. I need to get out of this situation, and I need to get out of it now. And so, obviously, we know, again, she, she lies Instead of lying with him, she lies about him, and he ends up, the man that he had worked so hard for gets angry at him and believes his wife instead of believing Joseph, and so Joseph ends up in prison. Joseph doesn't really give us three steps. He he doesn't tell us, you know, if you'll do A, B, and C, then you will be able to resist temptation What we're given in Scripture is what Joseph thought. What was his thinking? What was the the LASIK surgery that had taken place in his life and his mind? And that's what I want to get from verse 8 and 9, because we do learn what makes this great man so great. In part, this isn't all of it. It just reveals to us some layer of thinking that if we would adopt... And if we would incorporate, we would be much better off as well. So in verse 8, notice what he says. He refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not, he knows not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Now, I want you to notice a contrast here because in, in the three phrases there that he's saying, He's saying all basically the same thing. He says, my master has given me a lot. And that's that's what he's focused on. I mean, you can tell that he realized, notice what he says. My master knows not what's, he he wotteth not what is with me in the house. He doesn't even know everything that's under me. He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. He's saying, my master has been good to me. My master has given me a lot. He has has entrusted me with everything that is there and has given me the responsibility for taking care of that. And and that's what he has his focus on. But notice what he says next Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. So, on the first part, he's explaining all that he's been given. And all that his master has provided for him, but the second half, he's explaining what he's been denied. And he says, I've only been denied one thing. And that's you. Now I want you to notice the contrast. He says, I've been given this much. I've been denied this much. And I need to be sure that I keep my focus on how much I've been given and not on what I've been denied. Because if I get my focus on the little that I have been denied, I will underestimate the value of what I've been given. And he says, how could I do such great wickedness and sin against God? because I get my focus on what I've been denied, which will always lead us to undervalue and underestimate all that we have been given. What scene would you say started our whole sin problem? It's not hard, what what was the original scene that started our problem with sin? The garden. God had given them this much. He said, look, look to the north, look to the south, look to the west, look to the east. I mean, everything I've created for you. But I have one thing. One thing that I don't want you to partake of. And Adam and Eve could say, man, our master has given us this much. And he's just kept back this one thing from us. And they got their focus on the one thing and undervalued and underestimated this whole garden full of what had to be the most amazing trees. The most amazing environment that, that God created before it had been spoiled by the curse and, and all of that. God had given them so much. But, but our first sin came about when, when God's own people got a little bit too focused on the one thing that God had denied them, which brought them to the point of undervaluing what they had been given and when we begin to emphasize what we don't have over what we have been given, we are prime targets for temptation. We must learn to value what we have far greater than what we don't have. Now, now, by the way, man, I'm, I'm not talking about passivity. I, I, we, ought to be, we ought to be go-getters. Man, if you're going to... Plant a church, you're gonna pastor a church, you're gonna you're gonna run a business, you're gonna teach a Sunday school class. We ought to say, Boy, God, give us everything mean, give me everything that you will and use me to accomplish. I'm gonna be a go-getter and, and I'm gonna do it for an, an incorruptible crown much better than they do it for a corruptible crown. I mean, I I want to go after this. We're not talking about being passive and saying, Well, I'm I'm just fine with, with what I have here. No, we're, we're talking about being a, a contentment that says, I'm gonna be content with what God has given me and not focused on the denied part we're not talking about passivity so please do not make that an application of what we are talking about tonight the fact is we need to be focused on what we've been given not what we've been denied because it lets God be God that way it says God I trust you to know how much I can handle I'm I'm going to allow you to be the one who determines what I need and you know what I need to not have. And I'm going to let you be God and and I I mean there's a reason that that probably most Christians will never win the lottery one day. Because they're like, oh, I know what I'm going to do with the lottery. I will tithe first thing. Evidently not. Because God's not going to let you win it. You're saying, "I'm, I'm going to buy... First thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna buy my pastor everything he wants. No, you won't. You'll buy your your, your wife will get everything she wants first. The, the man of God won't get anything out of it. Yeah, there's there's reasons that Christians are gonna win the lottery. It's like God knows what we can handle and God knows what we cannot handle. And when we say, I am going to be content and I, I'm, I'm going to have a proper view of the things that God has given me and not elevate what I've been denied. And, and when we do that, we allow God to be the God that he is and says, I know what you need better than you know what you need. And when you decide you need what I said you don't need, you're going to make some big, big mistakes. And part of that is just learning to value what we've been given, what we have. Over what we lack. Ben, don't we live in a culture, we eat and breathe a culture that thrives on novelty? Yes. Yes. You know one of the greatest dangers of novelty? It creates boredom far too easily. Novelty. And and, and a, a technological society has brought us to the point where we can have new, in, in fact, aren't you sick and tired of having to buy the same thing over and over and over again because it wears out? I mean, I mean, you're, we're always in the search for the next, okay, what what tool company is not going to start catering to the consumerism and the Home Depots and the Lowe's and will just make a good tool that will last, you know? And, and, but yet the, the, there, is a, there is this whole industry that, well, people love to have new things and so we're going to design it where it doesn't last because they want to have more and they want to have more and so they'll buy it over and over and over again. And, and in a technological society, there's, just, there's always more that we can have and there's always new that we can have and we get, we get addicted to novelty. I mean, I, I'm sure you've read some of the articles, and I, I did a, a, a study and then a series dealing with addiction and all the dopamine aspects. I, I mean, God God gave us dopamine in a, in a way that could be valuable to us and would cause us to have a certain amount of adventure. But that dopamine, or if we get too many dopamine hits, we get addicted to dopamine. Yeah. We, we get addicted to this surge in the brain that feels good when something new comes along. And our, techno- our technological society caters to that over and over and over. And, and commercials used to be factual. They, they used to be, shall we say, about the science of the product. Now it is all a commercial has to do is create a want. And we want it. I, I mean, I, even my phone, the iPhone uh, down there, boy, I used to be caught up in this thing. That, boy, they came out with a new iPhone. i got to have it. And I realize, I mean, that, that actually is a bit of a dangerous thinking because I'm, I'm conditioning my brain to thrive on new and new and more new. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like a raving lunatic preacher about, about video games, but I'm not far from it. Because if you've read some of the research, you know why video games have levels? That's how they make it addicting yep. That's exactly right. every next level is a shot of dopamine. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. yeah. And, and when men waste their time playing them and then raise their kids playing them, yep. I mean, our, our kids are already saturated with having to have something new all the time. We, we train ourselves and we teach our kids to never be content with what we have we've got always we've got to have more, right, right. got to have more. Right. I, I mean, a, a Facebook, Instagram, all of them know how to how to make their products addicting. They, they make it to the point where, boy, you get that ding, you get that notification, and and somebody's got to check it right then. They got to look at it then, and and they even begin to build their lives and their their whole assessment of themselves about what these accounts say about them, and they just thrive on on the next ding to come along. And I, I have to have the next post. i got to see the next thing. One of the reasons that, that if, if, again, this is all research. You go research it yourself. One of the reasons that streaming series now is a, is a bigger money than movies is because it gives somebody new the next week. And you have access to it all the time. Our culture knows how to create that thirst for novelty inside of us. And we will, we will not be able to have the mindset of Joseph unless we come to a point of saying, God, I'm letting you be God. I'm going to be content with what I have. And I am, I'm going to refuse to elevate that which I lack or that which I have been denied. And I'm not going to let the culture do that to me. I'm even going to watch my technology use so that I don't allow that, my personal technology to do that to me. Listen, men, do you realize that when you come into the doors of this sanctuary. As a man, you have been six days in this other culture, and I hope you've been in the Word, understand all of that, but I'm saying where you work and where you where you do all your business and all of that, for six days in a row, this culture is conditioning your brain, and when you come into the sanctuary, you don't bring a different brain. The brain that you build on a daily basis and that God designed it this way. He designed your 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 brain to to respond to neuroplasticity, to where the brain is constantly formed. Even at this age, I'm 58, and and they're, they've demonstrated clearly the brain still changes. And what we feed ourselves Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you come in here and you hear the preaching, and it's the same brain. You you have to. It, listen, it's one of the reasons that we have such a megachurch issue out here is because the people have had to have new technology all the time and got to have all these other things, and therefore the church has to feed them that. There's no way that you're going to go to a megachurch and a guy's going to stand up there for 45 minutes reading black text on a white page and preaching the Word of God without everything else that goes along. In a megachurch, they're not going to stand for that. I mean, it's all—it's all consuming. We got to have more, and we got to have new, and we have to have new. Listen, you ought to be thankful that, that if you're a member here, you ought to be thankful you're not in a church like that. I mean, I was was an information systems manager for a defense contractor for several years, and and I I mean, I I love technology. This is not anti-technology. It is being sure that we use it right and we use it wisely so that we don't put ourselves in a position where if we wanted to, we couldn't even do what Joseph did with his mindset because we're not aware of even the way that we use our phones or the way that we use social media and all of these other, other facets that we do not allow them to come to a point where, where we are creating within ourselves this thirst and hunger for novelty. So many problems can be traced back to this. Let's just deal with pornography for a minute. One of the reasons, not... not maybe not even the greatest reason, but a significant reason is because guys get their focus on what they don't have as opposed to what God has given them. And men, when you get focused on maybe what your wife lacks or what she isn't anymore, and maybe all that she isn't anymore is not novel because you've been married for a while, and you you begin to emphasize the things that that you've been denied, I assure you, you will begin to undervalue the wife God gave you. you. You will begin to put her in the category of things that she's not. And you will lose sight of, but she is this. And she's been this for a lot of years and she's been this and she's been that and she's been that. And God's given me all this. Just, just denied me this. Or if you get to focusing on what she's not as opposed to what she is, you're a prime candidate for temptation. Because if you want, you can have a new one with every click of the mouse. And, and you can feed your brain that novelty. And every click is a shot of dopamine. I, do, you, do you know how neuroplasticity works? Do you know how dopamine works? The, the more shots that you give, the brain is, is rewiring itself to the point that it now demands that much novelty to feel any aspect of pleasure. So you end up with circumstances in, in which... I mean, a, a wife just no, no longer suitable because a man has conditioned himself so much that his brain was getting so many shots of dopamine that it had to enlarge the pathways in order, for, in order for to accom- accommodate the amount of dopamine that was being sent there. And when it enlarges those pathways, now it takes a whole lot more to fill up those pathways to feel the same amount of whatever sensation whether it be mental or physical or whatever it is that's the way god designed the brain to change and he says he that digs a pit d- that digs a pit will fall into it and he did that with our brain he says you 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 want to create that pit you're going to fall into that pit if you got to have if you got to have that much novelty and that's where so much sexual sin and pornography comes from. Is a undervaluing of, of just, here's what God's given me. Here's what I've been denied, but then you get your focus on what you've been denied. Man, we, we gotta be sure we don't raise our youth this way. So, so much of, of what young ladies and, and the boys as well, but some of the young, young girls are... are are so focused on the image consciousness that we gotta we gotta look like this and we gotta be like that. I mean every one of us ought to do the best that we can with the bodies we've been given. I'm not promoting that at all that we're just careless with that, but but we, we need to not be so much in that boy, God didn't make me this way or he didn't make me that way. And so I mean so people just fall into this this sense of despair in which, man, I just can't be what, what I really want to be or what people are going to accept me as and they'll get so much emphasis on what somebody is not as opposed to what God has given them and they undervalue how God has made them I mean it is true not just in the aspect of of sexual sin but marriage as a whole can go awry because men and women both lose sight of the value of what God's given them you can do this with your kids you, know, you, you can go through phases in parenting where you get focused on what they're not instead of what they are, and, and, and how God has used them or how God is building them or, or just some of the things that, that have been helpful. We come to a point where we undervalue what we have and, and we begin to make some bad decisions. You know, I've, watched, I've watched a lot of men make bad job decisions because of this and leave a church in which God was speaking to them and dealing with them simply because they, they, they lost sight of what they had been given and they got focused on what maybe they didn't have. And boy, here uh, this, this job offer comes along in another place and, and, and they'll say, oh, I, I know there's a good church there. Listen, they're harder to find all the time. You can't be so sure there's a good church anywhere that you go and if you are in a good church, you need to be very careful that you're not following into this trap right here of emphasizing what you don't have. Well, I don't make this much money and they're offering me this much money, they're offering me this benefit and, and you get your focus there and you're gonna make a really bad decision and do some great wickedness against God and you're gonna pull your family out of a church where God is speaking and where there's some momentum and where there's some growth and where God's done some good things and Satan's been hiding around the corner just waiting for you to focus on a job that that you don't have over something that he has blessed you with already, that if you would think about all the benefits that God has given you, you would stay put. Because you've simply come to a point of undervaluing what God has given you. How many decisions families get themselves into so much debt because of this? Well, I, I need... I need this kind of a car? I don't, I'm all for all for great cars, new cars, nice cars, and all of that. That's not the point. The point is violating this mindset, right. th- this biblical truth. Amen. That that a, a lot of families are in debt and know the stress on their marriage, and and. And it, it inhibits their ability to do the things that God wants them to do because of their debt. They can't do what God wants them to do. Maybe they can't be a blessing to the church they're a part of or they can't participate in something special or they don't feel like they can give their lives into the ministry because they have so much debt. And so much of that comes because they got focused on what they didn't have and undervalued what God had given them. We've got to have a home in this neighborhood. We have to have these nice of appliances i got to have this nice of a boat or i got to have my seventh set of golf clubs because the other six didn't work still i got to have all whatever all it is we just we once we start losing sense of what god has given us then we get focus on what we don't have and we make very bad decisions can i encourage you as a form of application, as well, be careful of that attitude towards your church and your pastor. Because if you will take the whole of what this church has been for you, and you'll be honest about it, and you will take the whole, if you're a member here, of what this man and his family has, has done for you, and you will take the whole. You will see that God has used this church, this pastor, yes. to do some yes. wonderful things in your life. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And the same would go for the other churches represented here as well. And Satan would love to get you to a point yes, where you begin to emphasize what they're not. yes, sir. Now, the longer I know this man, the more I realize, man, is there anything he can't do? He can do a lot of stuff, but you know what's interesting to me is I bet if I call him up a year or two and and say, hey, has anybody still been upset at you for something you didn't do? I bet I bet some member will find something that he can't do, and guess what they're going to do? They'll focus on that. Right, right, yes, sir. Yeah. Don't let them get you to do that. There, there, are, there are men that will lead their families, or actually, it's usually not the men leading, the women are leading the families away from yeah. the churches because when you talk to the husband and the wife, the wife does most of the talking, yeah. and the man is sitting there like he's yeah. scared to yeah. death yeah. to yeah. upset his wife, yeah. Yeah. and usually the wife is behind it somewhere because the kids have been offended or something along yeah. those lines, but men oh, yeah. let it happen yeah. to where they'll leave a church because they got focused on this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what you're going to have to do in order for you to get focused on this and to walk away from a good church? You're going to have to underestimate all this. And all that God has done. Listen, man, please listen. When when you are feeling it, when you're feeling the offense, when your wife is feeding you the offense, you, you can say amen all you want to right now. You're not careful. When you're feeling the pressure at that moment, you will justify the very thing you just said amen against. Yeah. Yeah. And your pastor will say, where's the amens now? Yeah. yeah. You said amen when he was preaching about somebody else, but now you're the offended one, and now you are focused on the one thing that you don't like or the one thing that isn't right about this church. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but you're gonna. in order to do that, you're going to have to undervalue and underestimate all this. Right. 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 And you go try to find a church that has going what this one does. You say, well, I can find a church better at this or that. I'm sure you can, but you better be sure that you are not suffering from the potential to do this great wickedness and sin against God by losing sight of all that your master's given you here and focus on what it may not be. I don't want to be remiss and not say to the pastors in the room, including me, we can do the same thing. We can do the same thing. Sure. There are times that, that I, I, can get, I can get most frustrated at Bible Baptist Church, and, and God has blessed me this much. With a shift, I can get focused on that one thing. Yes, and, uh, you know, the, the last thing that I need to think is, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the preacher. I deserve to do that. No, I, I, I can make bad decisions. I can say the wrong thing. I can say it in the wrong spirit. When I begin to look at a church in which God has blessed me immensely, so many magnitudes above what I deserve, and get focused just on this little bit. And pastors have made bad decisions before we even left ministries because they get focused on the, on the one thing they don't have, the one thing that's not right. We can all do it. We can all do it. Paul taught us to be content in whatever state we're in. Sometimes we're abounding. Sometimes we're suffering need. He taught Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. Taught Timothy to be content with food and clothing. And and Hebrews 13, 5 tells us to be content with such things as we have. Why? Because he will never leave us nor forsake us. We have him. I want to close with a verse that Brother Ingram actually quoted. And I want you to see it. I know you know it. And you could quote it, but turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and I want us to end with this. Just a, a, a great aspect of this whole, this whole principle that, that helps us to understand why this is a, needs to be a mindset. It's a, it's a root-level thought process because 1 Corinthians 15, that, look at the last verse, what it says. And in, our, in our quest for novelty, and our desire to always have to have something new, to have something more, n- notice what he says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Let's just take those two things for a moment. Steadfast and unmovable. You know what that means? It means you're going to be in one place for a long time means you're going to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. Steadfast. Stay. And don't move. Be unmovable. And you know what that means? In this culture, it means you're going to get bored. In order to be steadfast and unmovable, based on how our current culture is conditioning us, you're going to feel bored. Listen, I'm not not just taking shots. at Video game is an easy target. It's not like I'm trying to make that a a hot button. It's just a good example because it has so taken our culture over and so many of our youth and and so many of our men. So it's not that it's any worse. It's an easy target because of, of all the research that is out there. But it's that kind of thing that we find ourselves so attracted to to constantly feed it, and it makes it difficult then to spiritualize Do what we ought to do when we're supposed to be steadfast and unmovable because we've been taught we can always get rid of boredom by doing something different and doing something new. And you can always, if you get tired of of this wife or this girlfriend, you can get rid of that one and you can have another one, makes a divorce so easy. You can have this person. We've already gone through all the applications. The Bible says, listen, no, if if you're going to do what God wants you to do in the kind of ministry that Paul says you can have, then you're going to have to learn how to be steadfast and unmovable with the same person for a long time, with the same stuff for a long time, at the same church for a long time, same ministry for a long time. You're going to have to learn to be able to just stay right where you are at, Steadfast and unmovable. But the next part's the best part. Always abounding. Wait, that's backwards. No, the only way that we can be fresh and abounding is if we always have new. Not according to the Bible. The richest marriages need to be the ones 30, 40, 50 years long. I, I get to enjoy. I've got to enjoy marrying kids in our church that I, I was there when they were born. Get to watch them the whole process. It is so rewarding. But you you, you, you got to be there long enough to do that. You, you 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 have you have to be able to fight off the boredom and say, listen, I I want to be steadfast and unmovable. In, in teaching this class or serving whatever position that the pastor has encouraged me to be in, to, to run this bus route, to, to, to invest in, in this aspect of ministry and to be a part of, of this church and be able to go through the phases, in order to abound biblically, you have to be steadfast and unmovable. Amen. So men, you've heard. Now what should you do? And I encourage you to take some time. And when you're trying to figure out, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Ask yourself is there any place, any pockets, where you are uneasy or you're bored? And things that are right to do, but you're just getting bored. Maybe it is a marriage, maybe it's raising kids, maybe it's your grandkids. Maybe it's a ministry in this church. Maybe, maybe it's just some endeavor that, that God put in your, in your heart at one time and, and you, you were all excited, but the excitement's gone and now we're going to find out what your character is because it's going to reveal it. Because the greatest gifts in life are going to come in time because we're able to be steadfast and unmovable and have the mindset of Joseph Lord, help me to appreciate what I've been given. And to not undervalue it, not to underestimate it. Because when I do, all I have left to do is start focusing on what I don't have. And then I might get some dopamine, but I will not be abounding in the work of the Lord. Because it takes steadfast and unmovable. Would you stand together with me? Father, we're all prone this desire for more and new I suppose in some ways we wish in this sense we wish we could have lived in a culture they didn't ever get new and yet there were still challenges but in our culture Lord, this, this is hard we, we are offered something different all the time we're given unlimited choice and we exercise it at will God, would you help us to be your men, those who are willing to be steadfast and unmovable in every facet of our lives so that we can be always abounding in the things that matter the most. God, I ask you to bring to these men's minds those areas that maybe they don't want to confront or maybe they are having a hard time really even discovering or identifying? Or would you make yourself real so that they can have an abounding Christian life? Accomplish what you want in this invitation time, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And if you need to respond, give God the courtesy of a response.